0: Jeremiah 14 and 15, continuing our study here through the book of Jeremiah. We're going to do what we've done here the last couple weeks, once we've set the scene in the first ten chapters of Jeremiah, of what the book is about, the judgment that's coming, each lesson that we've done here lately has been... A teaching on the judgment that's coming, but also a little bit into Jeremiah's personal heart. And we can really understand and relate to Jeremiah. As we've mentioned here, many lessons. Jeremiah ministered for over 40 years. And from a numbers perspective, was not successful in any way whatsoever. In fact, he was completely unsuccessful. But there's not one recorded convert that listened to anything that Jeremiah had to say. In fact, the people hated him. Hated him a lot for what he said. So there's a lot we can learn from Jeremiah of going through difficult times and tough times and relying on the Lord. But at the same time, too, there's this ongoing theme of judgment is coming here for Israel. Babylon is basically getting ready to breathe down their necks and come down and take them and defeat them. And that's one of the themes tonight. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But we're also going to get in Jeremiah as a person. Now, last week we left off right around verse 6 of chapter 14. So we're going to finish up chapter 14 and do chapter 15. Now, with any book on prophecy, it can be really kind of intimidating as you read a couple chapters and you start getting lost in all this stuff, saying, Lord, what are you trying to tell us? So what we try to do is think of the key verse. We've got two key verses here tonight. If you look at the top of your sheets, the first one is in verse 21. This is the people speaking to God. Do not abhor us for your name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. The people were realizing they were in the wrong. The people were realizing judgment was coming. Now they're crying out to the Lord. Now you would think the response of God would be, forgive, forget, and let's move on. God's response, though, look at the next verse, Jeremiah fifteen six. You have forsaken me, says the Lord, you have gone backward, therefore I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting. That's not kind of the response that you are expecting from God. God basically has reached this point where he said enough is enough and you need to be judged for what you've done. Now, you know this in our little phrase that we use out here all the time, is anytime you see judgment, there's always grace and mercy. We'll get to that. But God, in these chapters, you have Israel crying out for help, For forgiveness, and God says no. Then you have Jeremiah interceding on behalf of Israel, saying, Lord, forgive them. And God tells Jeremiah, quit praying for these people. That sounds really tough. But it's actually not as tough as you think. Because really what it's talking about here is God saying the only way to really get your attention is to allow you to go through this trial and tribulation of being overtaken by Babylon, being taken in captivity, and then when you come back, I'll have your hearts the way I want But you have to go through this. Our fourth son, uh, Layden, is in a phase right now, whenever he does something wrong, and he does something wrong a lot, is that we need to go take care of the situation. So we'll go in there, and as soon as we go in, he knows what's coming. First words he says to me is, I'll be good. I know you'll be good now, because I'm coming in. I'm coming in. I'm getting ready to discipline. I know you'll be good. And he knows exactly what he's done wrong. Daddy, I won't be a bully. That's the phrase we always tell him. Is lady, you're being a bully. Don't be a bully. I won't be a bully. Or you know what? I won't stand on my bed. I won't jump on my bed. I won't take the toys from the buddies. He knows exactly what he's doing wrong. And he says, I promise I'll be good. That's exactly what Israel is doing here tonight. Lord, we promise we'll be good. Well, I know you'll promise to be good. But you still have to be disciplined for what you did. See, that's the deal that's happening. They know what's going on. If you remember the first six verses last week, is they're in a spiritual and a literal drought. They have nothing. In fact, if you read through this, some of the things that's going to be happening to them, they're going to be so besieged, they're going to be so poor, that the women start eating their placentas after birth because there's such lack of food. Their kids die, and then instead of burying their children, they eat them because there's nothing left. They know what is coming. They realize they have crossed some line in the sand. And God says, yeah, I'm glad you realized it now, but it's too late. See, that's the thing. I don't know how many times I get a phone call from somebody in the community, and it's a mom calling on behalf of their child. And they're saying, my child just fill in the blank." Just got in trouble at school or whatever. Can they come in and talk to you? Yeah, you come in and talk to me. So they come in and talk to me. Problem is, it's already too late. The the problem's already happened. The situation has already happened. And there's really no pieces left to pick up. It's just the hand of judgment that's going to fall. And as the hand of judgment falls, that's actually God's most loving thing he can do is to let them go through a trial and a tribulation to get their attention. So if you look at verse 21 one more time of Jeremiah 14, and them crying out to God for love and forgiveness. I mean, look at verse 7. O oh Lord, though our iniquities testify against this, do it for your name's sake. For our black backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. O oh, the hope of Israel, his Savior, in time of trouble. And they just go on and on. Look at verse 9. Like a mighty one who cannot save yet, you, O oh Lord, are in our midst, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. This sounds great. But they should have said this 50 years ago. They should have said this 100 years ago they didn't. So God's response, verse 10, thus says the Lord to this people, thus they have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will remember their iniquity and now punish their sins. Verse 10 is just straightforward. Israel, you messed up. You messed up for centuries, for decades, and now you have to be disciplined. And look at verse 11, the Lord said to me, do not pray for these people for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they offer burnt offerings and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. I was just talking to somebody recently, and their child was going through a very difficult time. And the parent was crying out. And I said, do you ever think that one of the most loving things we can do for your child is to let them fall into tough times? And I said, you know what? I know that's got to be difficult to pray as a parent. I know that's got to be difficult. It's hard for me to say to you, to the parent. But do you ever think that maybe the best thing we could do is not pray for the Lord to miraculously step in and save this situation, but to allow this person to go through a difficult time? That's what God is saying to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's heart cries out for Israel, and God is saying, Jeremiah, quit praying for them. This is the best thing that could happen to them is for them to be judged and to be rejected. Boy, that sounds tough. But that's the most loving thing God can do for Israel at this time, is to ignore their pleas and cries and say, I'm going to let you go through this to get your attention. Now, some of you out there as parents or grandparents, maybe you've gone through that with your kids. Maybe you were the kid that you had to go through that. Fruit can come out of that. It's not easy, it's not fun, it's not pleasant but it's the most loving thing the Lord can do. Now, we'll stop real quick there. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about that? Because that's kind of a tough one. That's a tough one to chew on. It almost comes across as unloving, but it's the most loving thing that God can do. All righty. What's one of the reasons why God's rejecting them is the false prophets, verse 13. And I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name, and I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoke to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send, and who say, Sword and famine, should not be in this land by sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed. God hates false prophets. He hates it when someone speaks in his name and says something. Turn if you go to Deuteronomy 13. One of the worst things you can do is say thus saith the Lord and the Lord didn't say it. If you're going to stand up and say God told me to tell you you better be sure God told you to say that. If you're going to get up as you're going to Deuteronomy 13 and you're going to tell somebody, I really prayed about this and the Lord revealed to me, then you better be sure the Lord revealed that to you. Now, I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm not saying that to put fear in you. But too often in Christianity, people throw those phrases out all the time. Well, I prayed about it and the Lord told me. Well, the Lord told me to tell you this. I don't know how many times I've had people out here at church for the last years that have come up over the years and said, you know, God told me to tell you this. It's like, you don't even know what's going on. We've got to be careful about thus saith the Lord. But do you ever stop and think, okay, if these guys are false prophets and their message is completely false, why in the world does God allow it to continue? I mean, we've talked about this before. I was just watching a program the other day on television, and I've told you my sinful nature I have. I watch the bad Christian programs because it gets me riled up. And I'm watching one of the bad Christian programs the other day. And they're showing, and I'm going to get all riled up now, they're showing me their house they're building. Now at the bottom it says I can become an eternal gift member for $1,000 a year. And as they're telling me I can become an eternal gift member for $1,000 a year, they are showing me their three-story house that they are building for themselves. And I'm really thinking, how much of that eternal $1,000 I'm giving you is going to you? And I'm sitting there saying, Lord, can't you just like zap their equipment or something? I mean, you get frustrated. Why doesn't God just step in and silence the false prophets? Look at verse 1 of Deuteronomy 13. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, let us serve them. You should not listen to the words of the prophet or the dreamer of dreams. That makes sense. But look at the rest of verse 3. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. The Lord says, I allow false prophets to come into your midst to test you to see if you'll really listen to me or whether you won't. Now, it sounds like God is setting us up for failure. He's not. He is giving us the tools to determine what is true and false And he's asking us to use those tools to determine the truth. But he says, I will allow that false prophet to come into your midst to see if you really will listen to me or not. That is why there's sometimes so much false junk out there. And you want to stop and say, Lord, why do you allow this to happen? He allows this to happen to say, are we really going to believe it? Are we going to test it out to see? There's a lot of stuff. Once again, as a parent, don't we do the same thing? I give my kids a job to do. And I go and I say, I'm going to go do this and I'll be back and check on you in 10 minutes. So I go, I leave the door cracked open. What do I do? I stand right on the other side of the door. And I watch them. I test them. Are they going to listen to me? Or are they going to sit there and keep doing something they shouldn't be doing and then all of a sudden get in trouble? It's a test. Are you going to obey or not? Same thing here with the false prophets. So when somebody comes up and says something absurd... Instead of us saying, Lord, why do you allow that person to say something absurd? We're supposed to know the truth. And I use these examples all the time. Forgive me for the repetition. But you know, when everything was happening with the Da Vinci Code, people will come up and say, well, did you, do you think Jesus was married? There's that false teaching going around that Jesus was married. And it's like, no, if you just listen to the Bible and read what it says, you know for a fact that Christ wasn't married. Or somebody will come up, remember we used this example a couple years ago, where the world was going to end in May, and the world was going to end in October. Do you think that's true? No, of course we don't think it's true. Why? Because the Bible tells us the truth. See, when you know the truth, the false is so easy to spot. So when a false prophet comes up and he promises me health and wealth and everything else in the world, yeah, I can probably just let that go. When a false prophet comes up and promises me if I just do X, Y, and Z, God will open the floodgates for this, I can just let that go because I know the truth. So what Jeremiah is saying here, in fact, I should say, the Lord is saying to Jeremiah, these guys are coming out and saying, Peace. Ah, oh, that's a false prophet, and they should know the difference. That false prophets were destroying Israel. We have a responsibility as Christians to know the Bible well enough so that way when someone comes up and says something completely spiritually absurd, we can say, I know that's not true because that's not in the Bible. That is why Paul wrote to Timothy, says that we're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Corinth saying, test the spirits. Now, you may not have every answer. And if you don't have the answer at that time, you tell them, I'll get back to you. But when somebody comes up and says something biblically absurd, we need to know the Bible well enough to be able to say, that's just false. Because why? We study the truth. And as we study the truth, we can determine the false. The nation of Israel here, they just wanted to listen to the false. It sounded a whole lot better. Look at verse 15. Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send and who say sword and famine shall not be in this land. See, that's what they were saying. Jeremiah is walking around, guys, saying Babylon is right there. They're coming down to get us. They're going to destroy us. And all the false prophets are saying, nope, Jeremiah's wrong everything's going to be great. God says, Jeremiah, quit trying. Quit praying for him. Quit doing that type of stuff. Let judgment come. And as you let judgment come, that will get their attention. Eventually judgment comes. What's the outcome of this? You can look at your sheets there. Jeremiah 15.2 And it shall be, if they say to you, Where shall we go? Then you shall tell them, Thus says the Lord, Such as are for death to death, as Such as for sword to sword, Such as for the famine to the famine, Such as for the captivity to the captivity. Basically, Jeremiah's answer is supposed to be, You're going to go to death, sword, famine, captivity. That's the, one of those four things are going to happen to you. You're going to die by this. You're going to die in fighting for this. You're going to starve to death or you're going to be taken as captive to Babylon. That's the prophetic truth that you need to get out there and tell them. No wonder no one went in to listen to Jeremiah. As we say out here all the time, if you really want a big church, just don't ever mention sin. Don't ever mention hell. Don't ever mention anything bad. Just keep promising good, fun stuff. Jeremiah couldn't not speak the truth. Now, you can read right here on your sheets where it says covenant. We're supposed to read the fine print. Turn if you will, to Deuteronomy real quick. I know we hit this a couple weeks ago, but it bears repeating. Go to Deuteronomy, please. Deuteronomy 28 first. Deuteronomy 28 I just want to hit a couple of these verses here of some of the things that they said were going to happen to them and that's exactly what happened to them. If you look here in Deuteronomy 28, pick it up in verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to carefully observe all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. That is the fine print of the covenant that God made with them. It's explicitly right there. Jump back to verse 1 of Deuteronomy 28. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all His commandments which I command you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and these blessings shall come upon you. So verses 1 through 14 are all the promises of the blessings that God gives as long as they follow the covenant. Starting in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 28 going all the way to verse 68 there are nearly, what is that, uh, 53 verses of curses. And guess what? And we don't have to go through them because we don't have time. All those four things that we mentioned, death, captivity, sword, famine, they're all there in those 50 plus verses. That's the fine print. See, Israel agreed to this in verse 15. They they, they read the fine print. They signed the contract. And this is the agreement that they came to with God is that if they don't do this, if they don't follow the Lord, they will be cursed. And I'll just pick out a couple to show you the point here. Stay in Deuteronomy 28. Look at verse 49. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies in nations, whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce continents, which does not respect the elderly, no sure favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until... You are destroyed. Verse 52, They shall besiege you at all your gates into your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. Verse 53, You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you, in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall destroy you. That, that's the fine print. Now, I, I feel awful that Israel went through those things, and your heart breaks for him, just like Jeremiah. I mean, in the chapters 14 and 15, Jeremiah is weeping for them. But, but that's the deal they made. And there is no bailout for this. That's the deal. That was the deal that God made. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, this is the curse that comes upon you. And, and you know what? We don't have 53 verses of, of fine print or whatever we should do now. God's kind of summed it up a little easier here in the New Testament. And as you go through the New Testament, it's a lot easier to follow. Just listen to this. This is out of Galatians, and you don't need to turn there. This is a lot simpler. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. If he sows to his flesh, will the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the Spirit, will the Spirit reap everlasting life. How simple is that? If you play by the flesh you 're going to get burned and hurt if you do things you shouldn 't do you 're going to get caught it 's going to come out. but if you reap excuse me, if you sow to the spirit you 'll reap to the spirit it 's the same thing today we just don 't have a covenant per se like God did, but it 's just a fact of life that happens. Israel chose to reject that since they chose to reject that judgment comes. now that 's the judgment part of chapters 14 and 15. Israel is crying out. Israel's saying, save us. And God says, the best way I can save you is to make you go through a difficult time. I've shared this story with you before, but just bear with me one more time. There's a gal that used to come out here, and we'd known her for many years, and she had trouble after trouble after trouble in life. And I will say that 99% of the trouble she had in life was by her own making. She would lose a job, and it would always be her boss's fault, but when you'd sit down and talk to her, you'd find out, She's the one that brought the illegal drugs to work and all that other type of stuff. Well, she had something going on in her life and she was finally having a season of life where things were clicking. There seemed to be some spiritual growth and then something happened. And this thing that happened was going to knock her down flat. And I remember when she first told me about it in my heart, I prayed, Lord, no. She's had enough. And I really felt like, and I've got to be careful when you say, thus saith the Lord. I really felt like the Lord said, James, she needs to go through this. See, I took that as the big, mean God that lived upstairs. I mean, can't you cut this girl a break, Lord? She's been through so much. It's an Israel moment, it's a Jeremiah 14, 15 moment of where God says they have to be crushed. For them to truly realize what they need, they have to go through difficult times. And some of you sitting here tonight, you know somebody and you love them dearly, but God is saying they have to go through. The death, the famine, the captivity, and the sword to get their attention. They have to. And you don't want them to. And your heart breaks for them like Jeremiah's heart breaks for them. But God says that's the only way for them to truly understand and see. They have to be crushed. Remember what Jesus said in the Gospels. He referred to himself as the stone. And he said, very simply put, you either fall on the stone and become broken, or the stone falls on you and crushes you. So one of two things happens in your life. You either fall to Jesus and become broken and say, Lord, I need you. There's nothing else but you. Or if you choose to reject that, the stone falls on top of you and crushes you. That's not being mean. I look at that as being honest. When I read Jeremiah 14 and 15, yes, my heart breaks for what the nation of Israel went through, but at the same time, too, they signed the deal. They signed the covenant. They agreed to these terms, and they rejected God, they rejected the Lord, they went to idolatry, they went to false prophets, they rejected all of it, and this is the outcome that came to it. Now, before we get into Jeremiah's heart and his response, does anybody got any quick questions, comments about anything we've talked about here tonight with the Lord and the judgment on Israel? Okay, let's talk here. Oh, sorry, Steph. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, Israel, two things. Ultimately, Israel was saved, and ultimately, Israel is saved. They go to Babylon for 70 years of captivity, and then they get to come back. Book of Nehemiah, they rebuild the walls. Uh, Book of Zechariah, they rebuild the temple. So they do eventually come back as a nation. Ultimately, Israel is saved because we know from studying the book of Revelation that when the Antichrist comes, their eyes are open to who Jesus is. So yes, ultimately, Israel did come back out of captivity, rebuilt the walls, rebuilt the temple... And as far as we know, from this point on, they never dabbled in false idolatry again. So it really seems like it worked, and ultimately we know from Revelation that Israel as a nation becomes saved again. So the harsh discipline did work. That's a good question. Anybody else got anything here before we move on? Okay, let's talk about Jeremiah real quick. Jeremiah's heart, he's the only guy getting this. He's the only guy getting this. Look at verse 16 of Jeremiah 15. This is Jeremiah speaking. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name. Now, you know where I'm going to go with that in verse 16. Where did Jeremiah find strength and joy in his heart from God's word? You know, it's amazing to me, as Christians, one of the most powerful tools God gives you to get through the daily ups and downs and struggles of life is his word. His word. His word. And Jeremiah says right there in verse 16, He ate of his words and it was joy and rejoicing. I'm telling you right now, if you are going through a difficult time, the most powerful, thankful thing you can do is just go home and open up the book of Psalms. Read Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 and Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. It's a healing oil that just helps you through it. I was just talking to someone today on the phone and we ended the conversation with go read Isaiah 40, 31. I was just talking to someone earlier this week where they were going through a difficult time and we got the Bible out and I had them read Jeremiah 29, 11. There's a powerfulness in this word. If you are going through a difficult time, get in the word. If you know someone who's going through a difficult time, give them scriptures. A lot of times people come up and say, I don't know what to tell them. I'm going to give you a secret. I don't know what to tell them either. So that's why you give them the word. The word does not return void. Jeremiah's strength and joy came from the word of God. That's why you do it. You get a strength that comes from that. And also then look at Jeremiah's response here. His mission, verse 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me if you take out the precious from the vial. You shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. See, look at the end of verse 19. Let them return to you but you must not return to them. This is a tough thing, and this is a big point that probably deserves more teaching than what we're going to give right now. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do for somebody is just let them go and let them return to you. Look at the end of verse 19. Too often I think as Christians we're chasing people down. Sometimes the best thing we can do is say, you know what? They want to step out of the protection of God. We've warned them. We've admonished them. We've loved them. We've rebuked them. Now we just sit here and wait. One of Pastor Richard's favorite things to say is, he says, they know where we're at, and they know the doors will be open Sunday at 10. Now, I hate him for saying that, but he's right. Because I'm the type of guy that I'm going to go chase people down. Richard, Richard's not chasing anybody down. That's just not him. He's too old for that. I'm going to go chase him <laughs> down. But there's a truth to, look at verse 19 again, look at the end of that. Let them return to you but you must not return to them. God could have stepped in and said, okay, Babylon, don't destroy them. God knew their heart wasn't really honest. God knew the best thing to do was to let this judgment come, and he told Jeremiah, let them return to you. Obviously, keep praying. Obviously, when the Lord opens the door, keep witnessing. But sometimes you need to let them come back to you. And look at that phrase in verse 19. If you take out the precious from the vials, how my new King James says it, That sometimes you know somebody and they have such a mixture of junk and godliness in them. Sometimes you got to say there is a heart in that mess of a person that wants to know God. Part of our job is to help that person come out of all that junk and filth that they're in. I know a lot of people that their life is vile. But there's a precious soul in there that wants to know Jesus. And we've got to keep praying for them and witnessing to them. And that's what God is telling Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the time will come where you get to take the precious out of the vial, that there will be a preciousness that comes out of this. And you've got to trust me. Boy, we can learn a lot from this. Judgment is sometimes God's most loving thing he can do. Boy, it's a loving thing. It doesn't make it fun. It doesn't make it pleasant. But sometimes it's the most loving thing he can do. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we close up with a word of prayer? Alrighty, let's pray and we'll let you guys go. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. Lord, if we know somebody going through a difficult time, Lord, give us wisdom to know whether you're using this as a tool to get their attention and what our role is in that. Lord, if you are using that as a tool to get their attention, we pray that their heart, mind, and soul is listening to you. Give us wisdom, Lord, on if we're supposed to go to them or wait for them to come to us. Give us wisdom, Lord, on how we take the precious out of the vial. And Lord, help us to be like Jeremiah, to stay strong in your word, and your word gives us strength and joy in a difficult time. Lord, we lift this up in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All righty, don't forget uh, card tables for heart-to-heart, and also sign up for heart-to-heart if you're coming and you haven't already signed up yet. So have a good week, and God bless, guys.